welcome to Risk Roundup. As the technology triggered revolution and evolution of cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace, and space fundamentally transforms the human ecosystem, everyone across nations will be impacted in uncountable ways. While the ongoing technology transformation of contested commons will likely bring us great rewards, value, and benefits, it will also bring us great risk and injustice, creating enormous imbalances. Humanity is at the tipping point as this emerging clash in the contested commons will create many security risks for the future of humanity. Now, in order to manage the security risk facing humanity, there is a need for real change at the very core, and that is the operating system. Similar to the computer operating systems that dictates the way a computer works and serves as a foundation upon which all the computer applications are built, humans also have an inbuilt operating system that determines the internal behavior and the external operating system that defines and determines the systems at all levels and everything else in the human ecosystem. Just like the internet rewrote the operating systems and redefined our societal infrastructure, it is the changes at the core that is the need of the time to experience not only a quantum leap in progress, but also safeguard humanity from the democratization of destruction. Today, we need an operating system that help us shape the future of humanity beyond Earth. To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Georges Van Hagarden to Risk Roundup. Georges is the managing director of the venture company, a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, a venture capitalist, CEO, venture catalyst, not capitalist, venture catalyst, CEO, a board member, and an advocate for a new operating system for the humanity. He is based in the United States. Welcome, George. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thanks for having me. Wonderful, George. So let's first talk about our human existence and the in the broader, you know, cosmic mm -hmm. world. So the universe that surrounds humanity is enormous. It's so vast. And if we look at our human species, we are so very tiny, very small. So when we reflect on the vastness of the universe and our very tiny cosmic existence and location, amidst the ongoing democratization of destruction, it raises many critical questions about perhaps the inevitable future destruction and demise of humanity if we you know, continue on the same path of how our systems are and how we operate. So where do you think humanity stands today as we look towards our cosmic future? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing to, to put in perspective is that uh, humanity probably on Earth is, is the in, most intelligent species on Earth, major species on Earth, but it will live the shortest. And that should make us all think, why, why is a species that has the biggest and best brain incapable of transferring that into a certain amount of excellence by which we outlive many other species, right? So why is it, for example, that the human species is being surpassed by a common fly 16,000 times? And a common fly has a pin-sized brain, yeah. way fewer neurons. So the issue is not so much what we do with and how we 
directly look upon nature, but how we manage ourselves so that the survival of mankind is prolonged for as long as possible. I think that should be our goal. And to do so, you have to create a certain amount of excellence. How do we manage each other? We're really the only animal on the planet today that actually manages people that are not within our purview. For example, we lay down the notion of a democracy and then we tell India or any other country in the world to adopt that democracy. But do we question whether democracy is actually a good thing? Is it a good thing? Is the sum of all people's wants the same as all people's needs? Yes. Yes, I, we rarely I, ask those questions, but those questions are pertinent in assessing how we then subsequently use things like technology to support the strengthening of our renewal. And true. I can demonstrate to you that what we do today, all of the systems of policy, capital, and innovation are in blatant violations with the rules and principles of nature which dictate our longevity on this planet. Yes, yes, I think you have understood the heart of the problem because like you just gave an example about the democracy, that is one example and that, you know, the desire to dominate and influence the behavior of masses across nations by very few, I think that is at the heart of the problem because if you look at it, each one of us across nations currently stand on the verge of the most turbulent and transformative period in entire human history. And the rapidly emerging technological convergence is about to create a technological tsunami. So this is not going to just fundamentally change our lives, but also, you know, create new industries, destroy few industries, impact every sector, every business, and evaporate many businesses and create significant amount of, you know, many specialized and high-skilled jobs, but destroy many unskilled jobs as the automation, you know, uh, takes a root and then it will collapse many nations that are not prepared and change the very nature of unprecedented number of security risks. It will be by far much more complex and much bigger than any security risk today we face in, you know, all of our contested commons. Yes, so but, but, uh, but the issue is actually not that complicated. So let me simplify it a little bit. You know, I came out of technology, worked in technology for 30 years. And when you do that, you think that the technology is, is the centerpiece of the world. It's not. Technology is merely a tool, a consequence of human behavior. And you can accelerate then certain behavior by using technology, right? But the point is that that technology is not at all that important. And because it doesn't deliver any, any substantial humanitarian value today, but we can make technology work so that it does, right? And that's the benefit. Now, how do you do that? Well, first, you have to find out what the highest normalization of humanitarian truth really is. If you listen to Feinberg, the, the, the Nobel Prize winner, the one lesson you have to take away from all his ingenious inventions is a simple phrase. We have to understand nature. And if we understand how nature works, 
we can model everything we do along the principles of nature to benefit from nature. Sure. And that includes technology, that includes things like understanding what our footprint on the earth is, et cetera, et cetera. The problem today is that we're ignoring nature completely. We're ignoring climate, but we're also ignoring the fundamental principles of nature. For example, nature works on a concept of freedom. None of our systems obey to the fundamental principles of freedom. The US Constitution mentions liberty about 30 times and yet fails to define it. Yes. How can you how can you have an expectation of freedom when you have no consensus of what freedom actually means? Yes. And that freedom actually requires a paradox because without a paradox of rules you cannot have freedom, you cannot have trust in freedom. Yes. So the bottom line is that we're actually still very naive, and that's why I, I want to come back to the starting point, where we're such intelligent creatures, and yet we're actually very solipsistic. We look at ourselves, we look at what we need, and from our standpoint, we try to optimize how to optimize our life. Mm -hmm. And that's the wrong order. What we should do is look at the principles of nature and then distill from that how we can best adapt to form a optimal equilibrium with nature so that not just you and I survive, but our children survive and get better at survival rather than worse. And I, I, I think uh, you are uh, on the right path of thinking because we all are, I think, prisoners of old ways of thinking. Now, there are a lot of thought leaders coming out and, you know, starting to talk about this. You know, the main, the root cause of the problem, what you are just described is inclusion versus exclusion. I mean, we are not including every individual or, you know, every uh, community or every culture into the decision-making process and we decide for them that this is how it should be. So we... Yeah, well, you have to be careful with that one because uh, there's this notion that people think that everybody should have a voice and it's nice to have everybody have a voice. That's called Twitter. But if you define not your... Really, not really. That, see, voice uh, without having purpose, voice without having, you know, some path or some destination to go towards becomes Twitter. But if you have a defined problem to solve, defined problem, for example, let's say democratization of destruction today, anybody across nation, they can, you know, just buy a computer and, you know, with the, their computer skills, they can destroy humanity. You know, such are the advances today. So if what does that mean? I mean, if we create a community, we tell them that, look, this is the problem. And this is the, what will happen if we are not able to control because there is no amount of regulation that will be able to give us ability to manage this democratization of destruction or the securities that are coming towards us. Well, well so, so, so. If, if you look at the way nature works, nature works on the basis of a meritocracy, not on a democracy, meaning not everybody has the same voice pertaining to the subject at hand. Now, I have to add to that because I see you, <laughs> I see you wanted to answer that one. It's not just a single meritocracy. It's a plurality of meritocracies, right? And so it's a relativity theory. The point here being, the point here, Dean, if you look at systems today, our systems today are still monisms of absolutism. 
They're fundamentally incapable of managing the assets to which they pertain, which are human beings, which live in a realm of relativity, plurality. And so therefore you miss a few dimensions. The system that determines what can be discovered as Einstein said, is fundamentally incapable of managing the assets to which they pertain. So if you build a democracy, you build fundamentally a system that is one, at least one dimension short of human ability. For one, a democracy is, is, a, is a harness. And therefore what happens, and I saw this in venture capital, I was a venture capitalist for a while. And what I saw happening, the priming of venture capital, as a result of the uniformity of the investment thesis. So the investment thesis became stale. It was, it was developed around the model of collusion, which is fundamentally incompatible with finding outliers. And, but, but the thesis is stale. And then as the assets, the innov innovators and entrepreneurs changed and the attention changed to different areas of innovation, then it suddenly didn't meet the purview of venture capitalists. So what happens? And this happens to every system. I could see it. I see it in asset management. I talked to the largest pension funds in the country. They have the same problem. They devise an asset management asset allocation strategy, you know, large funds, 300 billion plus trillion dollar funds. They have an asset allocation strategy that is attached to the risk of the distribution. For example, it says, we want to put this much money in private equity, but not all risk in private equity is the same risk. In fact, venture capital risk is opposite to private equity risk. The point being, if you don't understand what I just said, is that the model of the thesis of what you can dis discover, if that is a stale thesis, a monism of absolutism, you will be fundamentally incapable of tracing human ingenuity. And what that does, it narrows artificially the thesis of what you can discover. Because now we only look at companies that can only produce a billion dollar in revenues and otherwise you just don't get to play. So the human ingenuity, instead of being wide and diverse, is being narrowed by a thesis that is artificially constrained by an oligarchy of control. That is a very destructive thing, right? Because the, the, the evolution of humanity is actually dependent on a fractal of innovation, a whole sure. range of innovation, not a narrow sliver of innovation. Sure, I understand that. But see, the fundamental difference between now and you know before several decades was that we were not able to achieve a collective decision making in the past because it was not just because of the ideological challenges or governance challenges or the models of you know countries uh, uh, nation uh, or the country's governance structure or you know how humans you know uh, or innovators got the investment or the economic you know system it is not about that but it was about the limited technology that did not allow us to include everyone in the decision making process and why i emphasize this it, that is, you know, this inclusion is going to be so very important because 
we are what you are talking about is the external operating system like you know how to define and design the mm-hmm. economic system investment system and mm-hmm. all those other systems but the biggest challenge is the human behavior because no matter what is outside it doesn't matter what is right or wrong humans have decided each individual decides about what they like you know irrespective of what uh, you know the that's irrelevant it's irrelevant it's irrelevant in, right? in the evolution of humanity yeah. what what people think exactly nobody it is relevant because no it's irrelevant it's irrelevant to human evolution let's let's let, let's think about this for a moment what i have what <laughs> what any individual or you know any number of individuals across nations think about certain issue is very very important because it determines and drives their behavior so mm-hmm. now when we are looking at democratization mm-hmm. of destruction no, let's focus on security industry for a moment if we, if let's say you know everyone across nation you know it gets educated they get involved in understanding how, how you know anybody is writing of a code you know can destroy some ethnicity or some uh, destroy some ag- nations in you know, agriculture because you know now you can de- write a code from scratch and create an entirely new living organism so if you know people don't understand what is the gravity what is at risk then you know their behavior is not going to be shaped by you know looking at the future or security of the humanity so the internal operating system the inner you know operating system is very very critical it's not just how we define the outside systems external system uh, I mean, but but uh, but it's not that they're not important uh, i i don't want you to misunderstand what i'm saying what, the, the 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 morality of humanity is is at the whims of every individual not about morals george well, not about let me let me finish for one, one second so i can make my point um so the 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 thing i'm referring to is that if you look at the development of humanity you're dependent on one thing only and that is the meritocracy that nature has already established for us so we have a very passive role in order to advance our position and our renewal in nature and that is to fundamentally understand the principles of nature and feed them that's all what we have to do what now really do you mean by meritocracy uh, of the you know system nature defined who has survival of the fittest say again are you talking about survival of the fittest No that's not survival of the fittest that's actually survival of the most adaptable nature defines that so 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 the fundamental principles of nature are related to adaptability and that comes back exactly to my point if you have a thesis that is narrowly defined by oligarchic control that have nothing to do with the evolution defined by nature then what happens is you get a narrow sliver of mostly over time developed oligarchic control over people which is exactly what you don't want because nature doesn't operate that way so so the whole notion is that if you have a system that operates on the principles of nature you mimic the behavior of nature which then induces the renewal of ideas that create a much broader spectrum of the fractal fractal expansion of humanity so the point is not 
whether you and I think it's right for us to do something. The reality is that all of our systems should be subjugated to the principles of nature and then let people fill in how they contribute to that evolution of nature. Sure, no, I mean, I have, of I have no problem, you know, with that uh, thesis because... Well, that's a fundamentally different one. It's the inverse of what you talked about. Adaptation is important. Because if we cannot adapt, we cannot evolve further. So that is important. But at the same time, we it's also important that we, you know, include everyone in the process of this discussion about, or this, not only just a discussion, but how we define our well, the, system. Nature, so nature doesn't define that everybody is important. You know, n nature does not stipulate that every every ape on the planet is as important as the other ape. No, so what 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 nature? person. It is not. I'm not saying literally every single person needs okay. to be part of the decision making process. But we do need to re have representative of each community of each culture. Everybody part of that because if we but, but that but that, that is. But that is what you induce with, you know, what I talked about in the beginning is that nature works around the fu fundamentals of relativity, which means plurality, right? Plurality means multiple in our implementation today means to have a respect for multiple sovereignties and their own rule of law. We currently have no respect for those. Right? We, we create democracies that are basically a copy of what, what we here do in the United States. And they have very little relevance to how people want to define their own sovereignty. And they should be respected to do so. In fact, you can have a personal sovereignty that is subjugated to the collective sovereignty of a country, of a region, of whatever. So, so the point is that instead of having all these systems that are stale monisms of absolutism, humanity evolves around a plurality of relativity. And none of our systems today, none of the man-made systems we have developed today in policy, capital, and innovation support those fundamental humanitarian principles, which means you will never get a meritocracy. You will never get plurality you will never get adaptability, right? So you have to understand the points that you were mentioning are valid, but they're consequences of a system at its cause. The system determines what can be discovered is what Einstein said, and he is completely right. If you do not define the system that enables that meritocracy, that enables the plurality, that enables the, the relativity, you will not get that from people. Exactly. I mean, I, I hear your point on that because in the past or even now we have manipulated the power and we have rushed into developing technology or technology triggered, you know, exponential advancement. I mean, anytime you, we get a new technology, we get carried away like and we go forward without understanding what is going to be its impact. And when we build a system of inclusion, through emerging collective system, it will allow us a diversity of 
even let's say you know thought leadership even if we don't talk about all individuals because there is technically not going to be possible to include everyone but for security you know i i think we need a system we will you know that's a topic of all another discussion that for managing the security risk of the democratization of destruction we do need a system where we can involve everyone and that's what we at risk group are doing that we are trying to build a platform where we can give the power to every individual to identify the security risk in their neighborhood in the community in the you know the technology that they are working or the processes that they are developing because security is a very different you know uh, at a very different point right now where you know so far governments and militaries and uh, intelligence agencies were able to protect us but these you know the democratization of destruction do it yourself moment and all that has fundamentally changed everything so that is a whole different you know industry and whole uh, different approach that we need but if we look at this you know how we come to even the first basic point of uh, what you said is absolutely correct that we all the systems are outdated and we need a new system but how we define the new system is going to be at the you know very very important because we need to have the diversity and inclusion of you know all the voices so that we we can mitigate our blind spots and we can understand how to optimize our future listen if if you look today that um we're in the united states right and and uh, let me give you a bigger purview of the world a little bit today 9 million children die before the age of 5 what does innovation today do to solve that problem? Nothing, nothing. Why is that? Because we don't have a system that supports that. We have to do something about that, yeah. right? So, so the key is not, you know, technology is a mere consequence of human ingenuity. It's not the cause. But, and, but. And, to, and, and to confound the two is what Nietzsche calls the depravity of reason. If you do not understand the difference between cause and consequence, you will dabble in consequence trying to thinking that you will solve the problem. But all you do is merely put band-aids on a problem and then proliferate a next level descent of problems. So, so the key is, and this is what the fundamental premise, by the way, of innovation is. If you are an entrepreneur, and this is how I can tell whether people are an entrepreneur or not. If you are an entrepreneur, the first thing you do is criticize the system set before you and find a higher and better normalization of truth from which you develop a whole new delta of downstream innovations. Now, that is the fundamental precept of nature. That's how the, the hydrologic cycle works. It works on that same exact principles. It's how the capillaries in your veins work. It's the same principle, right? So, so, the, so the, the, the answer to how we should develop ourselves is already available and omnipresent in nature. And I spent eight to 10 years trying to figure out how to build such a system that actually mimics those principles of nature so that we create not friction with nature, but optimize ourselves along with a better equilibrium with nature so that we can survive as long as humanly possible.
Sure. Right? And I, I, I appreciate that effort. But if we look at, you know, what else is happening in the world and, uh, uh, I'm really glad that you have developed that thought leadership that how to move forward and how to survive as a human species. But there are also many other groups that are, you know, doing pretty impressive work in the sense that they're using technology to develop this proof of concepts. Now, I just, you know, talked about risk group. What we are doing at risk group is that collectively, we are trying to visualize a security risk facing humanity. Right now, we are just using our brain and thought leadership. But in the future, we will use technology to visualize what would happen if this, you know, if we let the you know, gene, gene editing, you know, sure. uh, take control you can... or anything. So the, that will give us an ability to see the future. And then we can, you know, collectively come to, uh, come together and, you know, figure out how to stop that. Yeah. But, but, then, but, but technology is not the cause. And, and that I, is what's something you have to keep in mind. And, and that is the, the biggest mistake that Silicon Valley makes today. Silicon Valley builds technology because it can monetize it. In, in some ways, I say they can sell it to greater fools and then they buy it and the price, the valuation goes up. And then after, you know, it's gone through an IPO process, everybody leaves the, the scene, except for the public, who is now for the third time yeah. uh, being faced with, with the impact of technology that doesn't live up to its value, right? So th the problem is, if you look at that whole picture, and, and let me paint the United States picture, right? We are the innovators in the world. And yet today, 25% of our children are on food support. We have an extreme poverty rate of 15.8%, extreme poverty rate. That's somebody making less than $10,000 a year. You know, if you take out your health insurance cost or whatever your basic costs are, you cannot survive in this country on that amount of money. Now, we're the second most obese country in the world, right? 70% uh, of our people are on our prescription drugs. Why? Yes. So, so, so this, this should make any sane individual think about not how we then solve the healthcare issue. No, what causes it? What causes people to be demotivated? Because the majority of those 70% of people who are on those prescription drugs are on antidepressants. Why are you depressed if you build a system that chases the excellence of humanity? And we're described across the world as the most advanced nation in the world. And yet the majority of us are depressed. How's that possible? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that tell you that the fractal of humanity is actually not expanding? And that's because of that oligarchic control by which we define who who can have the haves and who can have the haves not, who fits into the model. And if you don't fit in the model, you just don't count. That's not how you develop systems of humanity. So if you want to build a country, and I get contacted by these countries, they're small little countries, and they ask me, how do we build a vibrant society? We can never compete with the United States. You can because you can be more renew renewable. You can create an excellence of humanity that surpasses the United States without acquiring wealth, by the way, sure. because wealth is not a sign of human excellence. Exactly. It has nothing to do with that. It's I, a man-made construct. I, I so, 
that. And that's that the whole thing is about inner engineering and our approach and outlook towards life. You know, that that's what will shape our behavior for any country. We are at a point that if countries understand what it requires, you know, drive, you know, ingenuity, innovation, and imagination capability. And, you know, if they have a very good understanding of how to do the inner engineering, then no. But listen, today, today, if you're in Silicon Valley and you don't produce an X number of advertising clicks, you just don't count. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's our level of innovation. At the same time, there's fantastic uh, uh, science being done and and we don't even introduce that into into our systems of technology. So so what we're actually doing again is is deploying consequences of of easy peasy technology a bank robbery, if you will, uh, that 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 add nothing to the renewal of humanity, yes. right? The strengthening of our renewal. That's our core. And when we do that, if we if we give every person on the planet an opportunity to succeed, we will start to safeguard our security. Because the reason why security threats happen is that people are envious of our, you know, the United States role in the world, of our power, of our, you know, what if it what if we would actually respect a plurality of individuals in the world? a relativity of individuals in the world, whereby you could develop yourself, not in the way somebody else tells you how to develop yourself, but in the way you deem is a best match with your innate capabilities. What a wonderful concept, right? But but you can't do that individually because if you're being constrained by a system from the beginning that says, well, if you don't get an MBA, then you're just not worthy. And then therefore you can't succeed in life because you can't make a hundred thousand dollars. So you can't live in a metropolitan area. So you have to live somewhere in the middle of the country. I mean, this is, this is the, the stupidity that we just don't reconcile. And I do that. So what I do is I say, well, let, let's say if you were born today, and I literally get asked this question by, by children 14 years old. I talk to a lot of big and powerful people, but I also talk with children. And they ask me this question. Why, you know, it's, it's I don't know if you have children, but, but I have a child and there's a certain point in her life when she asks you, why, 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 why? Which is the... The beautiful normalization question that you can face as a parent. Why is the sky blue? Well, the sky isn't blue. So when we start telling our children that they don't, they shouldn't paint the sky blue, they should paint it perhaps even white because it's really transparent. What is behind the sky is a different story. So, so, so the point is stop telling people lies Stop normalizing ourselves to the principles of nature by which we can optimize ourselves and by which nature then dictates who has merit or not. And the merit is, is a function of mobility, right? I can have merit in certain areas and not merit in certain other areas. I can gain merit. I can lose merit. We don't have systems that do that. If you're... If you're a senator, you're almost like a senator for life, really. What if your policies are just fundamentally flawed? Shouldn't we be able to take them away, that, that merit of, of that role of yours? So the point is, 
I'm not suggesting we do that, but but the point is that we don't have systems that actually deploy a meritocracy whereby then as a result of not having those systems, we artificially turn humanity into robots yeah. of the same behavior. And what makes human evolution evolve is not our commonalities, is our differences. Nature yeah. evolves around the tiny part of our DNA that makes us look different, that makes us behave differently, even though we're 99.9% .9 the same. That small part of your DNA that's different is what develops humanity into a new equilibrium with nature. Sure. And that is what we must emphasize in our systems. So none of our systems do this today. All of our systems that we build today are geared towards making people behave the same. If you go to university, you have a choice of X number of studies you can follow. Yeah. Isn't that idiotic? Yeah, very, it's very idiotic. I hear you. It has nothing to do with your innate capabilities as 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 an individual. You may be you may be an expert in, in in chemical treatment of of water plants, and you will never find that out unless you stumble upon it. Yeah. You know, having having been basically socially expelled from from the university system. I mean, this is. This is not, if, if and, and coming back to the point, if a 14 year old, old, old kid asked me, like, so why did we build the systems we built? You know, that really makes you wonder, like that is what ignited my interest. Yeah, what, what, why? Why is a system that portrays to be free, a democracy in the United States, violates every rudimentary principle of freedom, if you could conjure one up, and by the way, is not constrained by, by, by the paradox of freedom. Why is a US constitution stipulate freedom, but it has no obligations in it? How can you have trust in freedom if you have no obligation to collect the freedom? Yes, accountability and obligation and none of those things. And this uh, is where insecurity comes from. This is where breaches of insecurity, because most people, most people deep in their heart, Know that everybody in politics is fooling them. Know that capital is a is is a bank robbery business, and that innovation is not worth the money it's being paid for. Yeah, they don't but even know. What, are, yeah, you are right. Most of the people don't even know what they are voting for. You know, it is so based on ideology. They don't even look at the candidate. They don't even look at what he's going to do or she's going to do. And they blindly vote based on their political ideology and affiliation. It's a very sad the politician. But 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 you you you're focusing just on politicians. I'm focusing oh, I'm all, on on all these components, yeah, right? Absolutely. So so if 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 we today stipulate that that both policy, capital, and innovation. By the way, capital. You should know, the finance sector in the United States is eleven times the size of production as a, as a contribution to GDP. Yes, 11 times the size of production. Really? That's a child with a waterhead that invests mostly in itself. Yeah. So if you're saying that the United States is the highest performer on the leaderboard of economics, that is because it regurgitates, it regurgitates itself, not because we produce so many great things. Mm -hmm. And why is that dangerous? Because finance is finite and production is infinite. Yes. Right. So, so we have today a, a, a system by which, so what the point being, who are these jokers in government 
that don't say, and I've had this, this interaction with, with people at the SEC, you're defining, uh, you're interjecting like, uh, uh, not with the SEC, but you're interjecting rules as to how you implement financial structures. Now, who defines the rule book of what we want to achieve as humans? Who is that? That is what institution does that? Yeah. There's nobody doing this. The only so so compare this to the real world. I want to play a game of soccer with you, but I won't tell you what the rules of the game are. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna pick up that ball, you're gonna you know, shove an elbow in somebody's face to win to win what? Right? So you can't you can't play soccer if you don't define the rules of soccer. Now within those rules, you can have freedom. That's what I mean by the paradox of freedom leads to freedom. Sure. Right? So, so we have none of those defined in politics or very few sensible ones. We have very few in, in finance today and we have almost zero in innovation today. And, and then we're surprised. All the systems, you're talking about then, all the systems. Right, and then we're surprised that none of those systems really deliver the outcome that we want to see because we haven't specified what we want to see. And there is no operate, there is no business model for humanity. And if you have no business model for humanity, you can't have an operating system that contributes to the op to the, to the business plan of, of humanity. And yes. that's where I come in. No, I, I totally understand that. And those are the blind spots. Those are the weaknesses and gaps in the systems that we have currently. But the again, you know, the technology transformation is shifting all those narratives so rapidly because now nobody needs anybody college degree or, you know, any affiliation with uh, universities or institutions to be able to do what they want to do. And as you see, all these innovations, the competition that is emerging from across nations is only because of that that you just don't need those degrees anymore. You know, a lot of but, people... But, but, well, but, but that's, again, technology is a consequence here, not yeah, a cause. It's, so, it's, so, a tool. it's a tool because if you look at it, George, that at uh, the Detroit Narrative Agency, they are doing amazing work. I really was inspired by what they are doing is because they are changing the potential future of Detroit by supporting the community members uh, and giving them the ability and power to create stories that can shift the overall narrative within the, you know, city that they are living or, you know, within this uh, justice system. And they, all this, what you discussed earlier about, you know, people feeling uh, inadequate, people feeling, you know, uh, depressed, not having hope, not having opportunities. Here, the agency uses science fiction and futurism and tools and technology and healing narratives to tackle these inferiority complexes and gives an ability to create the you know what they can create by their imagination by you know their yeah, but, reputation. But but, so, but, but but see, I think the 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 part that that that. Uh, you have to understand is that that a lot of these things are are not elective to us what, what you, you know where we humans are remarkably solipsistic in the sense that we believe that as long as we all get together and figure out how to do things better things will get better and they won't because the rule of getting better is defined by nature it's not defined by us so our role is actually very simple. 
So the you, only thing we need to do. Well, when the only you, thing we need to do is when George, when you say it's defined by nature and uh, it's not defined by us, then you are telling that humans have absolutely no control over their destiny or what? You got it. Really? You got it. You don't have any control over your destiny. I, I, you know, you yeah. don't. You don't listen. You can. You can have a per control over your personal destiny, right? You. You can avoid certain situations, etc. But you have no control, direct control over the renewal of humanity. That's correct. You have no control. The destiny of each individual is connected. It's all interconnected. So personal destiny plays a role in the collective destiny of the humanity. No, and it's not destiny. No, it's not destiny. It, it's, it's your meritocracy. It's your merit within the meritocracy of nature. And so what is important is that the sum of all people are able to explore the widest standard deviation of merit possible because then the outliers within that meritocracy will redefine how our adaptability with nature improves. So it's not the meaning of all people that matters. It's not the meaning of all you know, collective institution that matters. It's, it is what matter. What is that matters is that the merit of every individual is explored to its maximum potential, as if we had no systems. I I, be, I firmly believe that each one of us matter in the for the future of humanity. It is not just few or few who can adapt, but everybody matters because few. Let, let's even if we talk just about adaptation, if people who cannot adapt easily. They are not going to just disappear just like that. While this, you know, their existence get before the time that existence is over, they will do something destructive. So constructive or destructive, everybody matters. And well, right now, right now, we have the, we the, the collective, the collective contribution matters in the sense that only from that collective sample rate can you get the merit that requires all of humanity to evolve. And it's very important to understand. No, 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 let me finish. It's very important to understand that the, we were almost as humans extinct on the plains of Africa, right? We were almost extinct. Uh, I think there's some estimate of the, the amount of people that had actually survived. And the people that survived, survived for one simple reason. And that is because they collaborated on risk. But so they said to themselves, well, wait a second. We can't just survive individually. We can't survive on the basis of a vile maxim. We have to collaborate and collaborate smarter. So and then what we have subsequently done is we create systems of humanity that create a vile maxim again. So my point is that, yes, every individual is important because every individual subscribes to the collaboration that is needed to find the people who then reinvent the norm to relate it to the truth, and then can have the rest of society benefit from that opportunity. But George, I understand that, you know, that uh, uh, collaboration, cooperation, all that is, you know, very important as we mm -hmm. move forward. But we are at a point where a single individual can wipe out the entire human civilization. Mm -hmm. 
that is the nature of you know security risk we are you know facing in the absolutely absolutely tomorrow so it's a very different kind of you know uh, environment that we are living in so everybody matters what any individual sane or insane can do you know whether has merits or no merits is going to impact the future of humanity and right now we just don't have an ability to assume our destiny because uh, the security destiny because if we look at it that uh, all this democratization of destruction and all that enables us to go beyond the secure concern of the unknown and uh, the concept of the future you know is very blurry people just don't even understand that yet you know that uh, we are trying to define our uh, existence beyond you know earth and you know it's a very very complex you know challenge so no very- I, don't, i don't i don't think it's that complex the, the, the point is that if if you don't define the rules of soccer you will not get the I, gameplay of soccer it's that simple yeah. defining rules of soccer or defining rules of any system or game or interact rules and principles right rules and principles that then subsequently also lead to freedom within soccer of course they are important but at the same time the changes that are coming our way are so rapid that you define the rules of the game today rules and you know uh, everything else around it today and tomorrow everything changes and there is a need to change because some other technology comes and it has completely redefined the way we do things so but but the technology is mere consequential not causal to the evolution of humanity how how is it not important for the future of humanity look i'm at, not saying it's not important consequences are, are important not consequences i think it is foundational and the reason behind that is let's say you know this uh, neuro i mean uh, neuromorphic computing we are at a point where we have we can define and design chips and we can have all kinds of knowledge on it and we put that into our human you know uh, brain and we will get all kinds of knowledge and not only that some gene editing tools we are advancing so rapidly that we may be able to increase our intelligence and we'll be able to take out all those genes that causes disease and so much so these But you know what it doesn't do You know what it doesn't technology do? And all this technology is coming there foundational for human evolution. We are already the smartest, the most intelligent species on the planet and we're about to live the shortest. So I, so, I don't think so. Well, if you, think de- so. depends on your difference the, the, depends on your definition of intelligence, but but if you look at the number of neurons per per uh, at the size compared to the size of our body, we are. The the, the issue The issue here is that that our sensation with ourselves yeah, like we is it the number of neurons that define us intelligence I, i don't know I, that that's a that's a discussion to be had with people who who understand understand neurology better than i do the point is the point is that us having more knowledge doesn't make us more adaptable right because the adaptability comes from the rules of nature So it's actually very simple. We're making it very complex. We think solipsistically that the more advanced by our definition of 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 advancement we become we become somewhere better in society. The reality is just factually not true. We would have been better off if we had no systems of humanity. We would no, probably have been lived longer. I think your focus is very heavily on adaptation and I respect that because adapting is very important. But 
ad- what you are talking about adapting is is entirely a process of human behavior because adaptation has nothing to do with the external systems adaptation has everything to do with our internal operating system humans and we have humanity has so far never focused on our internal operating system we have always focused on the outside systems and you know that is where the biggest challenge is so if you what you are saying i come i agree with you that we need to focus on adaptation but that requires us to focus on our inner engineering process no no, no not at all not at all because because again the the operating system is already predefined by nature it is not defined by men and and so so the most man i should say not men <laughs> uh, so the point is that that the way if if our goal is to live as long as possible on this planet in the best state possible then the simple thing that we need to do is be adaptable to the operating principles by which nature operates not by which we think we operate it's so irrelevant I, i hear you so how did you let me ask you this quick key question is that how did you come to understand what nature says what are the nature's principles how did you come to understand that and define that for the new operating system that you are you know promoting for the future of mm-hmm. so so i paid attention to how the world works and and there's many experts in that field you can listen to Feynman you can listen to Einstein you know it's it's amazing how many people today do not understand the, the fundamental notion of Einstein's relativity theory and it's it's more than 100 years old now and and this is the foundation by which every individual or even flora and fauna combined operates on this planet And so so what I simply did is I paid attention to what our geniuses that have lived on this planet and have lived and still live some of them Lawrence Krauss uh, uh Richard Dawkins uh as a biologist what they have discovered about what the rules of nature truly are or our best understanding of the rules of nature because of course that is not an absolutism our our study of nature evolves the, our understanding itself is a relativity theory so what we do today is take the best of what we learn from biology you know uh, uh, um, anthropology uh, societal Uh, uh observations that we can make and then we can uh, and and much of it in nature uh, physicists and 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 people have have made very interesting observations about things like uh the difference between consequence and cause i cannot tell you how many people of the planet confound the two and have no clue what that then means uh, for example i you know i i'm i'm talking to the largest asset managers in the world and they're all deploying esg sustainable strategies for investing and sustainability doesn't exist anywhere in the universe sure. sustainability no but but sure 42% of asset managers who decide what they invest in so they directly decide how the ingenuity of humanity is going to evolve right by virtue of their investments 
whether you as an entrepreneur get to play or not, is determined by an asset manager today who has aligned himself with ESG, which is based on a principle that does not exist anywhere in nature, as far oh, as we know. I understand that. So, no, but, but, but the impact of that is fundamental because what that then does is it restricts the thesis of what humanity can discover by virtue of a thesis that is fundamentally incompatible with the principles of nature. So what does that then mean? That means that we create an accelerated anthropogenic cascade. So what we're doing today is actually that point that you're referring to as intelligence, where everybody has a voice, is actually doing the opposite of what it is supposed to be doing. The consensus is not the same of what is truth. It's not consensus. I'm not promoting consensus at all. I am promoting creating a platform where everyone gets an opportunity to share their voice, but at the same time can get education awareness. The, I'm, I would never promote that, you know, thousand, uh, who, however, however many billions are there in the world, that they all come together and they all have to be in consensus to be able to define right. a it doesn't work like that. It will not work like that. But, but that's the basis on which, by the way, a democracy works. Yeah, but that, uh, that is there any real democracy in the world? I don't believe so. They because say it can't work. You know, if, if, you ask, if you ask people what they want, yeah. they want a Kardashian lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. it. You know, so, is, is that a society? that would, That's like a banana republic. Yeah, so there right. is no, this is a very different uh, form of uh, governance structures we have everywhere. And this is, is the most prevalent, this yeah. is the most prevalent political structure we deploy on the earth today and sell as the best thing as, uh, since sliced bread. Yeah, it's, it's, it's atrocious. Yeah, and it, 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 has, it has no, no correlation there to is. the way nature works and therefore it is creating friction. It is. It is. That is creating so, friction. And, uh, and it, therefore, that harms our security. Yes. 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 All, all the security vulnerabilities. Yes. And so, so, so again, back to your point of security, if you want to normalize that, that consequence, if you want to normalize that all the way to the top, it's about how you build a system that reduces, I'm not saying eliminates, but reduces impact on security you can never completely eliminate security that's no that why is, a lot of security is, companies are doing so well that yeah. the more you innovate the more issues you're going to have with security yeah, absolutely there is no way we can get 100 percent security right. but because of the challenges that we are facing for the future of humanity we do need a new way of doing things like the one that you suggested going back to nature mm -hmm. and focus on the adaptability and principles of nature and uh, you know many others are also going uh, giving their thought leadership on the same issue and it's good that we want collective you know a uh, lot of different diverse voices tell us you know well, what i'm not sure if that's relevant if there's diverse voices or not you, you need one voice that is the right voice uh, but how do you uh, know that that, that voice is right. But who decides that? Because nature does. That? Nature has already done that. But are you talking to nature? Do you have an ability to talk to nature? No, but I use the information that we have collectively, our scientists have collectively discovered certain things. You know, it's amazing how much money we spend on science and then end up doing nothing useful. And it doesn't take a genius. You could have done this too. 
If you put your mind to and, and discover that Einstein, what Einstein's relativity theory really means, this is how the universe evolves. Yeah, you understand, but 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 the point is, none of our technology today, none of our technology today, employs an innate system, an internal system, that works on the basis of relativity. They're all static absolutisms, and 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 they pretend and want to be totalitarian regimes. They're they're little Hitlers. I mean, it's amazing. And then we're surprised that, that people get upset when they don't get what they want on Facebook or when there's fake news or when there's all these other consequences happening from people not having the ability to express themselves in the way they need to express themselves, right? And so the point again, the source of all human problems lies in the operating systems that we, the principles of the operating system that we have failed to deploy. And so my system is not a singular system. It's actually a set of principles that mimics nature's principles as best as we know how. And then you can deploy that operating system to wherever you need a system. If it's the system of soccer, you can deploy it there. If it's a system of innovation, you can deploy it there. If it's the system of politics, you can deploy it there. But you have to adhere to those principles. Because if you do not, you will create friction, I evolutionary know. friction, that then creates a whole waterfall of other problems. And then we can dive into the waterfall, and we can debate about all the consequences, but they're irrelevant. So, George, you have put together your thoughts based on your understanding of a uh, uh, lot of information that is out there, a lot of you know, research that is done, a lot of thought leadership that is out there. And based on that, you have put together your you know, ideas about what are those principles. No, they're not my ideas at all. They're, no, they're, they're nature's, together. You they're nature's principles together. as best as we know how. Yes, but you have put together and you have shared that, you know, vision. You have, uh, you know, put it down your thoughts into... No, into not, you're trying to make it something that is, not, not, that is invented by me. It's not, not invented by okay, me at all. Did I, not, did I not say that you, based on all the information that is out there, you have, uh, you know, picked bits and pieces which you thought did that, you know, relates to the nature's principles better. And that's how you have created vision. And that's an alternate way of doing things. And well, there's, a, there's a few other things that I did. So, so apart from having these principles, I also discovered that some of these principles are actually hierarchical. The notion that some of these principles depend on other principles. And so that constructs a, an operating system. Otherwise, you just have a set of principles yeah. which you can decide to deploy or not. For example, let me give you an example. You cannot have a meritocracy if you don't have freedom. You cannot. You cannot. So the point is, if you want to have a meritocracy in which you will discover outliers of humanity that will change the world for the better, then you can only get that when you have a system of freedom. Now, how do you get freedom? You can only get freedom if you deploy a paradox of freedom. So there's a hierarchical structure between all these principles not defined by me. 
not defined by identified by you, not defined by you. I right, exactly. So, so what? What I I don't want to I don't want to sound like the next Einstein because I'm not. The but, only thing I did is what Feinstein told us to do, and that I'm, is a very I'm close to nature. on everything, George. I I refuse to believe that because I yes, while you know what Einstein told us is you know foundational in a lot of different ways. Theories are evolving, and you know we have to. And nature is evolving, and our understanding of nature is evolving. You know things that are evolving because at the end of the day, alteration of the way of doing things will lead to evolution, and evolution comes with changes and innovations. And it's important to understand what is culturally required for any evolutionary innovation to succeed. So, having said that, but but but, 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 but the key the key thing is. If you, if we were as humans to implement the foundational principles of nature today, we would see a massive change in the way humans operate. Because suddenly, because suddenly you go from this narrow sliver of merit, oligarchically controlled, you will go to a fractal of human expansion in which everybody can participate. That is a fundamentally different change. That is actually the change that you referred to in the beginning of our talk. I, I understand that. But the, at the same time, George, the, what I'm trying to say is that nat unless we develop that conversational AI that lets us talk with nature directly, we don't know exactly that what we have identified are the principles of nature. We assume okay. that. These have been tested by science over over many years. I mean, Einstein's relativity theory is, and we all have to agree with that by now. The science years later. Science is not static. What was done so far is, you know, we are doing the science and is progressing so rapidly. So our knowledge about science. No, 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 no. Our, our knowledge, our knowledge of the universe. And the way nature works is actually not increasing that dramatically. It's not increasing, physics, not increasing, well, not increasing dramatically at, at the top level, at the bottom level, at the consequential level today. No, For example, at every level it is evolving, George. Yeah, but I, not at I, the same I, pace. So, so it's important, it's important to understand how normalizations work, that there's a hierarchy of these principles. And so, yeah, you can say nature evolves frequently and rapidly, yeah, for certain underlying architectural issues, but not at the top. The fundamental principles by which nature evolves, they don't change for one, our understanding improves, right? And as our understanding of it improves, we can benefit from that as human beings, because then we can build more accurate systems. So we build systems, but today we don't even look at nature to define how we are supposed to evolve because we're going to evolve like that regardless whether we like it or not our work on this planet has no impact on our evolution today zero except for a negative i, I would disagree there george because the natural evolution even if you if we talk just about human evolution the way we evolved over the years was very slow now with the gene editing tools and other you know artificial you know super intelligence and the, you know that those tools emerging we are going to fundamentally even reshape and you know 
change the entire evolutionary process even for us humans so, so over the last I, so I, over the last 40 years so over the last 40 years no no no, no listen to me i'm making a counter argument over the last 40 years we have seen the height of technology innovation and during that height we have increased poverty in the united states during that height we still tolerate 9 million kids dying before the age of 5 during that time frame, we've become the second most obese country in the world, dependent on prescription drugs. Now, you tell me what the innovation really is worth. But George, innovations happen today does not mean that we solve all the problems. And we're solving zero problems that matter to the evolution of humanity. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Now, you can say solipsistically, well, I like it when I get smarter. Do you get smarter when you put a chip in your brain? How do you think that's going to evolve? How do you think your child is going to evolve into a better human being as a result of that? How do you think that human being is going to get more adaptable? It's not. It's fantasy. It's fantasy. The human behavior is an entirely different issue, but evolution happens on many different uh, levels. And uh, let's agree to disagree for, at that point because we have, you know, uh, <laughs> talked about. We knew uh, it was going to be spirited, so yeah, that's okay. I mean, we can talk for several days yeah. on these topics because there's exactly. so much to discuss, and it's a really, uh, you know, fascinating uh, topic. And we that is at the core of you know how we are going to shape the future of humanity. So yes, there is a lot to talk about. But having said that. What would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially about your books or your initiatives or uh, what you are trying to achieve? Yeah. So so what I do is is my, my job is to make people think, you know, I have a daughter and I want my daughter to grow up in a better world than than I grew up in. And, and that's the main reason why I do what I do. Um, what, what I want, want to make sure and I write I write a lot of blogs. I have about twelve hundred blogs at VentureCompany.com venturecompanyoneword.com. Um, and, and the blog section is divided in policy, capital, and innovation. And, and what I do is I talk with stakeholders in each one of those areas. Uh, you know, policymakers and even country leaders come to me and say, well, how can I improve the performance of a, of a country? Fundamentally, not by raising a tax rate, sure. but, but by changing the system by which I can operate. How can uh, in, in capital, for example, I talk to large asset managers where they're saying, well, we need a 20, 30, 50 year plan for investment strategies. That's an investment strategy of long. If you don't correlate that investment strategy of long to net nature's principles, you will be incompatible with nature's principles and you will not have the repeatability of returns that you're expecting. Very important to the pension uh, holders that relying uh, that are relying on certain returns, and in the business of innovation, I help entrepreneurs think about how do you develop innovation from a fundamentally different perspective. How do you endorse a plurality? And and it's not because we all just like a plurality, because a plurality is actually pretty difficult to to envision. Uh, but that makes the company the innovation renewable, meaning. It's not just a stale absolutism that then runs out of merit at some point in time. It changes as the participants on that system changes. It's a very important aspect to, to entrepreneurs and subsequently to investors who invest in, in, in those businesses. Sure. Uh, the, whole, the whole piece, of course, is, is, is important because now we treat those things 
policy, capital, and innovation as individual silos, they should really be working together to improve the excellence of humanity. And that's my main charter. So I set up a master classes where people can attend, depending on uh, and, and focus specifically on whether you're an asset manager or a venture capitalist or an entrepreneur and, and some other ones. I, I do some lectures as well, uh, universities, because a lot of uh, uh, young uh, uh, people are, are very interested in this stuff because they're wondering why why we created this this ludicrousy. And um, and I have uh, advisory that I uh, sell to individual clients that come to me with certain problems that they're having. Great. Thank you so yeah. much, George, for participating in Risk Round. Thank you. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on this new operating system for the future of humanity. And I'm sure our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided today. And even if a single individual or single decision maker can understand the need for a new operating system for humanity after listening to this discussion, this Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you. Wonderful. So Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence and transformation happening across cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that Risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to the management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup video audio podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.